1: Dragos publicly releases its full report on ECANS ransomware, the first known ransomware with a real if primitive capability against industrial control systems. An Australian logistics company struggles with an unspecified malware infestation. Coronavirus fake news is used as fish bait. Election security may get an early test in Iowa. The Department of Defense issues new cybersecurity rules for contractors, and two cases of insider threats or alleged insider threats. From the Cyberwire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your Cyberwire summary for Monday, February 3rd, 2020. Industrial cybersecurity company Dragos this morning publicly released its full report on the ECANS ransomware that has recently afflicted industrial control systems. ECANS is referred to as Snake in some sources, ECANS being snake spelled backwards. ECANS was interesting because it was, as Dragos explains, a relatively straightforward ransomware strain, it encrypted files on infected machines and displayed a ransom message. The difference, however, was interesting. Beyond doing these things, ECANs also, quote, featured additional functionality to forcibly stop a number of processes, including multiple items related to ICS operations, end quote. That is, it included a mechanism that hit processes in a static kill list. It is, as Dragos explains, a relatively primitive attack mechanism, but this is something new with ransomware. ECANS, at least, intentionally targets industrial systems. The malware has been active, it is believed, since about the middle of December. Dragos, which as a matter of policy studiously avoids attribution, in this case does offer some grounds for skepticism of early reports in January from other observers and researchers that linked Ecans with Iran. Dragos finds that linkage tenuous at best and sees few, if any, of the markers that some had believed indicated the hidden hand of Tehran at work. Australia's Toll Group, a logistics company that operates a fleet of seven cargo ships, has shut down some systems while it investigates and recovers from a suspected cyber attack, according to industry publication Splash 24 7. What kind of attack Toll Group may have sustained is unknown and the company has said little beyond saying that it's reverted to manual operations in place of some systems it shut down out of caution. The company says it's working with experts to bring its systems back online. It appears, according to Business Insider, that the affected systems are customer-facing business systems, and in particular those systems customers could use to track shipments. This judgment is based mostly on public customer complaints, and the customers seem to be growing increasingly salty as manual backups appear to have been unequal to the task of providing a minimally acceptable alternative to the automated systems that have been temporarily closed pending remediation. Toll's systems display a message when customers inquire about their stuff. Something went wrong with the connection. We're sorry. The site is taking too long to respond. This should be a short-term issue. Once more is known, perhaps the incident might serve as an object lesson in preparing manual backup, and readying a strong corporate communications plan as part of planning for resilience. As usually happens with any news story that achieves widespread circulation and considerable penetration into popular consciousness, the coronavirus epidemic continues to be used as fish bait to spread malware. Tech Republic, citing research by both Kaspersky and IBM's X-Force, reports that emails circulating in Japan and purporting to be from a disability welfare service provider are serving as an infection vector. The inducement to open a malicious Word document attached to the email is the false report that the virus has broken out in three Japanese prefectures. It hasn't, of course, but if you're frightened into opening the attached file, you'll be likely to come down with a case of the Emotet Trojan. The Iowa caucuses represent the first round in the U.S. presidential primaries, and they meet today. As is usually the case, the party that doesn't hold the White House is the interesting one to watch, and of course this year that would be the Democrats. Although, as Politico notes, caucus voting is lower tech than it will be in other contests, Iowa affords the first look at how 2020's vote will proceed in the face of expected cyber disruption. Watch for reports of influence operations designed to disrupt the caucuses. Watch also for the less likely but still possible attempt by foreign state actors, and we're looking at you, Russia, as usual, to directly manipulate the vote counting. The state of West Virginia intends to make casting a ballot by smartphone an option for disabled voters this year, NBC News reports. One hopes the gain in accessibility will outweigh the risk of cyber attack and that proper safeguards will be put in place. Mondack says that the city of Chicago's lawsuit against Marriott over the hotel chain's 2018 data breach has survived a motion to dismiss. The lawsuit is a consumer protection action alleging negligence in securing customer data. The long-anticipated cybersecurity rules the U.S. Defense Department wants the defense industrial base to live by reach their final form at the end of January. CMMC model version 1.0 will be phased in over the summer of 2020. The Defense Department is open to receiving comments on the rules, as NextGov reports, but in outline the new guidelines establish a five-level system that grows more stringent with the sensitivity of the work a company performs. Previously, contractors had been required to attest that they adhered to practices recommended by NIST. The new rules will require certification by paid, accredited, third-party assessors. It's expected to take six months to a year to be ready, so if you're the sort to be interested in U.S. federal contractor inside baseball, now would be the time to start getting familiar with CMMC model version 1.0. Finally, two cases show the varied forms that insider threats can assume. These two cases are interesting in that they involve trusted insiders, and they allege that these insiders knew what they were about. They weren't, in the government's view, instances of well-intentioned error, but rather, allegedly, cases in which people had some things to hide and now have some explaining to do. Courts reports that a Raytheon missile systems engineer, Wei Sun, has been arrested for taking a company-issued laptop containing classified information with him on a trip to China. He's being charged with violating federal export control laws. Apparently, Raytheon's security staff found the problem and reported Mr. Sun to the authorities. Charles Lieber, professor and chair of Harvard's Chemistry and Chemical Biology Department, has been charged with a single felony count for making false statements to U.S. government agencies. The charge is related to his failure to disclose that he was working for China's Thousand Talents program, receiving $1.5 million from Wuhan University of Technology, while he simultaneously received U.S. federal research grants. He faces up to five years in prison, three years of supervised release, and a $250,000 fine. The Wall Street Journal observes that it's not illegal to receive foreign grants, but that any such relationships must be disclosed when applying for support from U.S. agencies. A specialist in nanotechnology, Professor Lieber had received millions in grants from the U.S. Department of Defense and the National Institutes of Health. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, great to have you back. Hi, Dave. Uh, I spoke with uh, Ben Yellen over on our Caveat podcast about this new bill that uh, is going through the Maryland legislature about ransomware.
0: Maryland Senate Bill 30.
1: And I wanted to get your take on it because – I don't know. I I think I was a little uh, counter to Ben on on his reaction to it, and and I suspect you and I probably align. But uh, before we dig in, can you just give us a quick overview? What's Maryland uh, up to here?
0: Well, what they're doing is they are defining what ransomware is in this law. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then they're making it illegal to, quote, knowingly possess ransomware with the intent to use the ransomware for the purpose of introduction into the computer. Okay. Okay. Uh, And then... Directly above that, the paragraph says, this paragraph does not apply to the use of ransomware for research purposes.
1: And they're making this a misdemeanor with up to 10 years of imprisonment and a fine of up to $10,000. That's
0: correct. That's the third change that they've made. They've made three changes to this law. One Mm -hmm. is they define what ransomware is. Two, they make possession of it with the intent to use it a crime. And three, they specify what the penalties are. Maryland law is actually very easy to read. Um, (laughs) Comparatively, yeah, yeah. Okay. um, (laughs) So there's a lot of uh, a lot of hype about this law mm. that that I've seen in the press recently in the security press. People should be aware of a few things. Everything that is not related to ransomware in this law is already on the books in Maryland. This bill repeals and replaces that existing law with the new law that includes the ransomware language.
1: So we're just being a little more specific about ransomware.
0: We're broadening the scope of the law.
1: And I suppose it's fair to say that as a bit of background, of course, Baltimore got pummeled by right. ransomware recently, or, or in the past year or so, Yeah, it was, cost them over $18 million. Yes,
0: it was, it was a bad situation. And that was not the first time that it happened. Yeah, uh, They had also had their 911 system attacked by ransomware. Yeah, And there was a ransomware incident in Salisbury, I believe. Well, I'm so, going from memory on
1: that. When Ben Yellen and I were talking about this, Ben made the point that the, that he thought this was good for deterrence. I was a little more skeptical about that. Yeah, where, I am, where do you I am come very down? Very skeptical
0: about that. I don't think this will deter anybody from possessing ransomware. Number one, Maryland is. You know, how how are you going to prosecute under Maryland law somebody in a different country? Right. Uh, are you going to ask them to be extradited to Maryland, mm-hmm. where you can prosecute them?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Also. With the fact that this research exclusion is written very broadly, it says this paragraph does not apply to the use of ransomware for research purposes. Mm -hmm. So if I have ransomware, even if I have intent to distribute it and I get busted because I live in Maryland Mm -hmm. and I say, hey, I'm just researching it. Yeah. And how does that, how, how <laughs> does that get not, out of jail free? Card? Yeah. How does that not a get out of jail free card?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess you'd have to convince the judge that right. certainly the arguments would be made, but you're correct. It is kind of broad. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, my take on this is that this is a response by our legislators that, uh, the Baltimore got hit hard. Right. And, uh, it's good for them to make a public display that we take this seriously. We're doing something about this. Look, we're taking action.
0: Yeah. Yeah. and, and, and this really doesn't in my opinion, this doesn't take very much action at all mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't offer any greater security uh, it it doesn't uh, it does provide a penalty for something and and maybe Ben's right that that is some kind of disincentive. I don't know how much of a disincentive it is. I don't know how many r- ransomware attacks originate from Maryland. Right. I suspect it's very low mm-hmm. There is another bill that's in that expands the scope of the Secretary of IT, to include advising and consulting on cybersecurity uh, matters, I think that is a better bill. that hmm. does move the state in a more secure direction.
1: Yeah. Well, I suppose it's good that there's uh, recognition uh, at the state level that uh, this, these sorts of things require action. Of course I will I-
0: say that. I will say I'm glad to see that the Maryland legislature is starting to look at cybersecurity as, as, a, uh, as an issue that needs to be addressed.
1: Yeah, I um, guess an $18 million bill from Baltimore will get your attention yeah, <laughs> when it comes yeah. to these kinds of things, <laughs> <That's> right? Right. <laughs>
0: right. I wonder what it costs Salisbury, too. I haven't found any reporting on
1: that yet. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, uh, interesting development. Uh, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
0: Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Space Daily and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us.
1: And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past— Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their dark net exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net— so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.